Welcome everyone to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. This is our special supplementary content from this morning's show. Uh, we were hoping to have Gracie West on, but we had technical issues, but uh, she is on now. And so we're gonna have the interview about social justice warriors as kind of a cult uh, with her now. So of course I have, as always, Carrie Smith. Carrie, hi. Hi guys. Gracie, welcome. Hi. So uh, thanks for joining. Um, let me just give a little bit of background that I have on you here, if that's okay. Uh, okay. So you, you actually majored in uh, women's studies and then you have yeah. a, a master's in the sociology of religion. Is that right? Yeah, yes. And and you've been an SJ, well, you were an SJW for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when did you leave? When you were part of the walkaway movement, when did you stop being an SJW? This, I would say this summer. I mean, I've been being red-pilled red for about a year, but I didn't really, I didn't really have the courage to admit it or say I've changed and I don't want to be this anymore until the summer, really. Um, really finally admitting I just don't buy into this anymore because I had been falling down the rabbit hole of the intellectual intellectual dark web and realized I actually don't subscribe to all this stuff any longer. And um, saying it out loud was hard. It was difficult um, because I knew that everything would change. Everything, you know, friends especially, my whole community really, that I, that I, had as close friends they were they're all still um really good people good christian people but they're all social justice warriors now are you were you a christian during your social justice time or were you an atheist and came back to christianity or how would that go no it's uh something that I, and that's why i'm trying to think through and talk about the cult-like aspect of it because i maintained my christianity throughout I have to say, I don't know if maintained is the right word, but um, I never lost belief. Uh, however, during those years, I didn't exactly connect with God. I didn't, I mean, for 10 years, I didn't go to church. Um, and then when I did go to church, I went to a very liberal SJW Mennonite church, which I didn't grow up in a Mennonite community or church. But, um, the, you know, Portland, the Mennonites, I guess, they tend to reflect the area that they're in. So they're unlike evangelicals that way, where they can really be con so, so different. Like the ones in Pennsylvania might wear bonnets. I don't know. <laughs> but they're <laughs> okay. super different, very different than the ones in Portland, Oregon. So I, I grew up Christian also, and I noticed this about the universe, was it Universal Unitarians or something in San Francisco, that they didn't really seem the same Christian that I grew up with. Yeah, there's, um, so I'm trying to figure out how, how people are merging Christianity with this cult-like religion and or swapping it out. I, I'm trying to figure that out because it's not like I, uh, stopped believing in or loving Jesus. I mean, I fell in love with Jesus as a kid, you know, I loved those stories. But um, I, so I wasn't willing to just toss that out the window. But I have to say 
that it, it is just not the same gospel. And I didn't hear that same gospel in that church. And I certainly didn't think about that same, I didn't think about Christianity the same when I was in it. Sure. I, I, I'm really curious about something, which is, um, you said, it says you're, you've been married for 21 years, you've got two kids, is that right? Yeah. Did it affect your marriage? I mean, uh, hey honey, I'm not an SJW anymore. I assume maybe you didn't start as an SJW with your, your spouse because that uh, you've been married for 21 years, but you say you've been an SJW for 15. Can yeah. You, did that affect your relationship? What happened? So it's interesting. My husband and I got married young, of course, and I was 20. He was 22, maybe. Um, and he has five college degrees. It's like an AA, BA, two MAs, and a PhD. Okay, it's clinical. Okay. So. The point is, I, I went to college a little bit later. I first got a license doing hair. And then after that, I decided I want to go to college. So during the time that I was getting a bachelor's degree, four years later than my peers, he was getting a master's degree at a seminary, actually. And, and so we've both always been thinkers. And we've always talked to each other about concepts and things and I have to say during that time as well his dad was dying a slow miserable death of cancer and so you know you question the goodness of God you question all these tropes that you hear about God as a conservative evangelical and so there was plenty of room and reason for him and I both to switch our views from conservatism to liberalism and especially liberal Christian circles because of seminary I mean not everyone who goes through seminary and comes out ends up being a liberal Christian, but plenty do. And there's all kinds of um, reasons for that. But him and I basically, what I'm trying to say is him and I basically became SJWs around the same time and kind of lived that out. It isn't great for marriage, actually, <laughs> because... Um, Social justice or the transition? Well, everything. Oh. Nothing's good for marriage. Marriage is hard. <laughs> but... um I don't know. I'm not totally sure how to reflect on that. I, I don't. I don't. I don't want to say that it totally affected the marriage that much because, frankly, as I started red pilling, he was too because we started watching the same stuff. Because you know, you find Jordan Peterson, you're like, oh my gosh, listen to this guy, and then we talk about it. And so by the time we're done talking about it, it's like, oh. And then we find Tim Pool. I mean, we've kind of been on this intellectual journey very similarly, and it's been helpful for marriage actually. I mean. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. If you're, if you're, um, if you have a good relationship and you're exploring together, then you're, you'll likely arrive at the same conclusions if you're kind of, yeah, both, uh, I, I wouldn't say we've always landed at the same conclusions, but I think the basic fundamental shifts that have happened in our lives of be like leaving conservatism and going into liberalism and, and then coming back out, those are so foundational that I think if one of us hadn't, we would be having a serious turmoil. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So you also just, um, I think it's it's worth advertising this to people. You're writing a, a, a fiction novel called Breathing in Water, or you've written one. It comes out next year. Is that right? Yes. How can people get it, and what's it about? You want to give us some... Uh, sure. Yeah. So this story was birthed in my head when I was being red-pilled. Um, to, you know, Peterson, Jordan Peterson once said or maybe he's said it many times but it's hard to think and sure. 
real the only way you can really really think is having two opposing characters or voices in your head so you have to give space for the devil's advocate in your own head to actually think and so i don't know if he suggested this or if it was just that i came across that quote of his afterwards but at some point i recognized i started to put a liberal feminist in conversation with a southern white man in my head so I thought, okay, because nobody in society was talking anymore. They were just throwing labels and accusations. And I thought, I want to hear these conversations and they're not happening. But I have a feeling I could probably put them together. I know this other side and I definitely know the one I'm in right now. So I put these characters together in my head. I say, okay, what if, what if they were talking about abortion? What would they say? Or what would they say about this and how and why and, you know, that. So... At some point, I recognized, oh, these people are real in my head, and I started putting them on paper, and I realized, oh, I have a little story here. So between January of this year and February, or I'm sorry, April, I just wrote the entire thing like a madwoman. Like, I was on it every hour that I wasn't working. I worked part-time. So basically, yeah, I wrote a, it's a, uh, I don't know, 210 pages. It's Essentially, it's a story about a young woman who, a liberal feminist who's going to Harvard for graduate degree and she her life is interrupted by family tragedy. She has to go back home to small town Oklahoma where she has to work with a southern white man to run her mom's business. So they have to have conversations and they have to work toward a common good. They have to work toward a common goal and so you have motivation to actually finish conversations. You have motivation to actually land somewhere and not hate each other and throw labels. So I needed that kind of context for them to actually have these conversations. Well, um, so the story has a twist at the end, but um, part of the story is their love interest. Eventually, they both kind of realize what it means to be transformed by loving your perceived enemy. And and another part of me writing this was thinking, wouldn't it be nice if these polar opposite sides could figure out how to love each other and see the humanity, especially see the humanity in the other person, despite their different opinions. And so the character does kind of red pill along the way, but not fully. So these people don't end up in the same place exactly. But you know, she does learn a lot, and he, I think he does too. So that's the story. I don't know if that's too long, but. Oh, that's great. How do people get, you just go find it on Amazon or where? Well, it's in the process. It, it's in the process of being published right now. I'm putting it, th- going to be putting it through the editing phase. I hope, I'm going to independently publish it. So I hope it's available by spring to purchase, and I'll have those accessible on all of my social media. So you can find me, um, Gracie West or Embarrassing Mom sometimes, like I think Twitter, um, I'm at Gracie West or at Read Gracie West. I don't remember now because I don't go to Twitter a lot, I honestly. You read Gracie West on Twitter if I read Okay. Twitter, yeah. Yeah. You, you know better than I do. <laughs> um, Facebook, it's Gracie West and YouTube, it is too. It used to be Embarrassing Mom. That's a long story. And um, it might be Embarrassing Mom again. I don't know. So, well, uh, embarrassing mom is, I have a, a child as well. And so, uh, embarrassing mom makes perfect sense. Actually. The story is actually that my son pranked me by changing my profile name in Google, first name, embarrassing last name, mom. And 
because, um, and I changed it back to my name, and he, when I wasn't looking, changed it back. And then Google decided, you can't change your name for 90 days, three months. Well, that was right before I posted my walkaway video. So, like 80,000 people <laughs> saw my, my YouTube name is Embarrassing Mom. That was actually a really good prank. I thought that was pretty great. Yeah, that is um, good. But everybody's like, we love your name. Keep it. Keep Embarrassing Mom. And so I, I wanted to. But then after the three months was up, I thought I'm kind of, I don't want to send emails, professional emails with my my name looks like Embarrassing Mom. It doesn't show up as Gracie. It shows up as Embarrassing Mom. So like emailing the school and emailing people that might edit my book, it's like, so I thought I could edit only my Google name and not YouTube, but turns out they're married to each other and they will not let you. So I accidentally, so once I changed it back to Gracie West, they don't give me any more chances. I have to wait another three months to change it back to whatever. Anyway, long story. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, it was a, that's a good prank. So, um, you know, Carrie and I earlier were, we went, I went to, uh, what is it, the Cult Education Institute website and we went through uh, 10 warning signs of a potentially unstable, uh, sorry, potentially unsafe uh, group. And I, those were actually pretty straightforward, but the, the stuff that we didn't get to that I think you might have some particular insight. I think actually, Carrie, you thought there was something in that first 10 list that, that Gracie would be interested in. So we should do that first. But then there's another list of 10 warning signs regarding people involved with a potentially unsafe group. So I want to go through those with you, Gracie, and just have a conversation about the, what you think about SJWism as a cult. But Carrie, what was it earlier that you said uh, you really wanted to hear Gracie's comments on for the first 10? Do you remember? Do you we hear can't her? hear you. I don't hear her. Uh, uh, I don't hear you. Okay, so we lost Carrie. Uh, possibly because of the Google, Google gods, as uh, as Gracie was saying. Bummer, but uh, I guess we're not going to stop, and we'll continue talking about social justice as a cult. Yeah, so. we're just having two social justice warriors, or I'm sorry, apostates. So former social justice warriors is just too much of a powerful force for Google to handle. So yeah, technical I mean, difficulties all around. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're, it's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to get two of you in, in one spot at the same time. So, yeah. um, so as I was saying earlier, we, 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 we went through these 10 warning signs uh, of a potentially uh, unsafe group, but there were these 10 warning signs regarding people involved in a group. Like if you, you have a friend and you're worried about them, like, ooh, is, is it a cult or, you know, are they in... Um, mm -hmm. And just so you're, for your edification, Gracie, when we went through the 10 warning signs of a potentially unsafe group, it turned out that social justice warriorism uh, met every single one. So, well, um, I'm not terribly surprised. Yeah, we thought, oh, maybe you know, it'll be like 70% or 60%, and we'll be like, ooh, it's almost a cult. But it was, it was 100%. So, let's go through the 10 warning signs because it was fun, and uh, I think this would be fun with you. So, okay, the number, the number one. Extreme obsessiveness regarding the group, resulting in the exclusion of almost every practical consideration. I'm not sure I would agree with that with social justice warriors, but what do you think? Are, are they, is it like, is their whole life revolve around social justice and they kind of give up practical considerations or not? 
Oh, I wouldn't say that, but yeah. um Yeah. I, I, I would say that's not true also. No, I would say that's not true. Yeah. It might permeate every aspect of your life, but I don't I wouldn't say that they give up practical parts of life for it. Okay, so they this is the first one they haven't met. This is oh. so okay. Number two, individual identity, the group or leader and or God, depending, we don't have that in this situation, uh, as distinct and separate categories of existence become increasingly blurred. Instead, in the follower's mind, these identities become substantially and increasingly fused as that person's involvement with the group continues and deepens. So I think what they're meaning by this is... Um, A loss of personal identity? It sounds like it in like the group and 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 a kind of moral authority or kind of the same thing and it's it's uh there's no there's no um it looks like they're saying there's no distinction between kind of the the idea of a god or this moral authority and and what the leader or the group wants and the deeper you get the more the more that seems to be the case um well i would say that the moral authority is the all important aspect so it does permeate all of your life. I don't know if people lose their personal identity. I mean, they, I, okay, can you read that again, the beginning of it? It's confusing. Yeah, I will read it again. Yeah. Individual identity. So actually, I'm going to just oh. read it. I'm going to read it for word for word because they, they use the word leader and slash group sometimes when they talk about these things. So it says mm -hmm. individual identity, the group, the leader and or God as distinct and separate categories of existence become increasingly blurred. Okay. So my, like a personal person's individual identity is blurred with this with the group, group and identity. Yes. Well, I don't know if they're actually aiming at this, but I would definitely say that individual identity is lost and the group identity takes over your personal identity. So you're now placed in the hierarchy of groups. And so, you know, you're, you're part of a collective, you represent a collective of sorts, but yeah, so you're not allowed to be an individual for sure. So you lose that individual aspect, definitely. Um, I don't know if that's exactly what they're getting at, but- It's hard to tell, yeah. Yeah, you, you definitely lose your individual identity for the sake of the group. Now, yeah. so, that, so this means like you weren't Gracie, you were a white lady, is that- yeah. Okay. Exactly. Right. So as a white lady, if I were still a social justice warrior, and by the way, it's not lady, it's woman. Sorry, is it woman uh, with a Y or an X? <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've skipped that. I, I was, I've been out of school for 15 years. It's probably a Y. I don't know. But um, yeah, they, they basically, if I were a social justice warrior right now, I would have to do penance for my white femaleness because of the fact that an article came out in the Huffington Post about white women vote, half of white women voting for one of two candidates. Mm. So that's a terrible percentage, half of a population voting for one of two candidates. Yeah, it should be well, all of them. Yeah, because I think they're it not representing, right? Evil. Yeah, obviously. Um, yeah. I, incidentally enough, I believe the entire management team and board on the Huffington Post is white women, something like that. It's, it's a pretty... Uh, it's the it's the liberal white woman monoculture over there at Huffington Post. Well, so. And they have to do penance for their white guilt. And there's something very um, self-hating about it. You definitely have to pick on yourself when you don't embody the top of the hierarchy. Sure, sure. Okay, mm -hmm. so 
that seems like it'll get a check. Like, you definitely losing individual identity in some some respects. Uh, number three is whenever the group slash leader is criticized or questioned, it is characterized as persecution. Oh, totally. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Just like um, Carrie was saying earlier with posting something online, it's it's not uh, it's not just an opinion. It's an attack. So if you question their orthodoxy, you have actually attacked their foundation of their morality. Therefore, you represent evil. It's very cut and dry. Um, yeah, okay. I would absolutely say they pass that one. All righty. So two out of three so far. Okay, number four, uncharacteristically stilted and seemingly programmed conversation and mannerisms, cloning of the group in personal behavior. I don't know if I see a lot of that, but maybe you tell me. Yeah, I don't know about behavior, but... Um, I feel like language and mannerisms, there's a lot of uh, cloning. Well, there's definitely cloning in the, sen in the ideology, in thinking. So you have to think and talk the same. In other words, if you have a conversation with an SJW, it would go the same as if you had it with that SJW over there. This one or that one, the conversation would go the same. So they're fungible. They would say the same things in response to the things that you're saying. Okay. So it is... They would all be offended by the NPC meme. <laughs> yeah. Well, they'll find a way to make it a racist thing, I'm sure, if they haven't already. Sure. But sure. yeah, very much like that. And then, you know, they are kind of getting into that embodied thing more, controlling people's body a little more. Like, um, here's an example. You're not supposed to, if you're white and you're talking to a people, a group of people of color, you're not supposed to move your hands. If you, so especially like if you're Italian, you're screwed. Yeah, exactly. And so, especially if you're a white man, or yeah, white women too. But I'm if you're start like, doing jazz hands while I talk to people, just, yeah. Just, so just, if you, if you want to see an example of this, look up Evergreen College protests okay. when the president is trying to say something in response to their demands for whatever it is. They this um, mob of students took over campus and took the president hostage and demanded things from him. And so he was responding to that and he was using his hands and they told him to put his arms down by his side because he was being threatening. And he really, he was just talking, you know, like this, but he wasn't even being defensive. He was being very, he was conceding. But yeah, so they're getting much more controlling of your body and, um, you know, like you're not supposed to touch black people's hair. I think that's kind of like, eh, yeah, it sounds you're not supposed right. to touch people's hair generally if you don't <laughs> yeah. know them? Or right. Yeah. Right. Like, but like, because they have a different texture, black women find that people love to touch their hair, especially white women. And so there's these rules that they create I see. about how those things are bad and here's why. And Don't appreciate aspects of me that are different from you because that's offensive or something. Yeah. And I get it. Like, you, yeah, it is kind of dumb and rude to touch people. Like when I was pregnant, I, I found that a lot of people would touch my belly and I want to do that too when I see pregnant women, but I realized it does feel as a pregnant woman like they're touching you, not the baby. And so it's a little awkward, well, especially they are, they're you know. actually touching you. Yeah. It would be more awkward if they were touching the baby, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> right. So right. interesting. So, um, you know, had I known all of this, I, I would have much more vehemently accused Jim Acosta of assault and, and, uh, Oh his, yeah, he did mistakenly uh, yeah. kind of brush against the intern. So yeah, uh, I guess mm -hmm. especially because he's a white man, 
he was assaulted. Oh yeah, right. But they, because she is guilty of wrong think, it doesn't matter. She's an apostate. I see. I see. So we can touch your hair all we want. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's next time if I meet you in person. Uh, be sure, sure to remember that. Okay. Uh, so so I, we would say kind of on that one. Yeah. Uh, I just want to reread it for uh, uncharacteristically stilted and seemingly programmed conversation and mannerisms. I mean, that first part really does resonate with yeah. me. The cloning of the behavior, maybe not quite as much. It's but, getting it's getting there with with the um, low class groups. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Number five, dependency upon the group slash leader for problem solving, solutions, and definitions without meaningful reflective thought. A seemingly inability to think independently or analyze situations without group involvement. Well, I mean, I I wasn't in it, but I certainly feel like, you know, presented with some new problem, the, the first thing a social justice warrior does is look around to see what everyone else in the group will thinks that they should say if it's uh, if it's not clear. Well, yeah, there's definitely some people's voice is more authoritative than other people's. So um, if you're one of the groups at the top of their hierarchy, then what you say goes. And so it really depends on who's talking. Oh, and okay. when problems come up, it depends on who's speaking. So here, here's how you break it down. Um, I, I, you know, I could go through the hierarchy, but... Actually, can, can you? Because sure. I was just going to ask... What's the hierarchy? Is it written down? Is it on the, you post it on the wall at campus? What's the hierarchy? <laughs> well, um, the hierarchy is race matters. So dark, dark skin pigmentation is at the top okay. of privilege in their, in their hierarchy. Okay? okay. So dark skin pigmentation, then kind of medium, and then ethnic, uh, historically colonized ethnic groups are next. And then after that is trans women and men. And then after, and so what's happening after that is um, white women. And then after that is like maybe disabled folks. And then after that is, well, you get down all the way down to men and then white skin. So, okay. it, you know, obviously people kind of, uh, oh, and homosexuals, they would end up kind of, they would end up below trans, but above women, especially white ones. Is so it's static very, or does it change? Or is this... It'll change, yeah. Like um, gay and lesbian, LGBT, you know, Q. They they used to be up higher on the list, and trans people weren't even on there, except for LGBT. T is part of the T, but right. trans would sort of become their own separate group. As in, we're they're the most protected that we're advocating for right now. So they're almost a separate thing right now. But yeah, it changes a little. But race somehow doesn't change. It's mostly going to stay at the top of the higher. Well, dark skin, I should say, not race. Um, right. The darker the skin, the more privilege you, or authority you have with speech. And that is because I think, I suspect it has something to do with how they um, arrange their moral code. And shaming is always part of religion, right? You have to have morals. And when people break the morals, you shame them. Or you just shame them to keep them in the group or something. Mm -hmm. So what happens is you can use historical things like slavery um, with the fact that women didn't get to vote until 1920. I mean, you can use these hard evidence things as um, shaming tools. And so I think that those things are going to, especially skin color, because slavery was the worst, uh, that'll stay at the top, I imagine. But um, 
So I have a, I have a, a challenge to this slash a question because uh, mm -hmm. I am an outsider on, on this. I partly I feel like it's really attacking people who have uh, guilt and resources more than anything else, and so like it's almost I almost look at it inverted. And the reason I'm saying that is, you know, white males in society <clears throat> typically or at least historically have had more more resources, and Judeo-Christian ethic is certainly more. Um, vulnerable to guilt than say uh, the Muslim mm -hmm. ethic or mm -hmm. even you go to Japan or China. My wife's Chinese. She's like totally confused when people feel guilty about stuff <laughs> they didn't do. It's just not part of her culture. Um, mm -hmm. But what I've started to see happen is, um, you know, you mentioned pigment, skin pigmentation at the kind of the top of the hierarchy, right? Mm -hmm. They're starting to, Asians in the Bay Area are starting to get vilified. There was uh, someone at Berkeley yeah. the other day that with Asian silence is violence. That was the sign they were holding up. And, and it's because Asians have a lot of resources. They've done very well coming to America and mm -hmm. uh, they've actually outperformed whites. And mm -hmm. so I, I feel like it's just this, yeah. you know, well, they have more resources. Maybe we can vilify them. And the pyramids, partly victim yeah. about victims, but partly just about, you know, who can we trash right yeah well they would they would include jews and white and asian people as white now i mean oh i see they do okay. they do too well and um yeah and and it has to do with pigmentation think about it they don't have really dark pigmentation so they do naturally fall at the bottom toward the bottom of the sure but they have about the same pigmentation as hispanics or latinos right some of them mm, yeah i don't know I don't know, but um, but I think it, it definitely you're right. It has to do with with um, resources and wealth, and um, and they do too well. They work too hard. It doesn't work for their narrative because the idea is, if you have a, a race other than Caucasian, then you are oppressed, and it's intentional, and people are working against you. And so, when they see people defy those truths, communities of people that just excel it doesn't fit um and that they yeah they'll drop right off they'll aim their target at it because at the end of the day it is about resources that's i think that's why marx marxism was so attractive to the ideology and how it kind of latched onto that and developed from that because there's this whole critique of access to resources and um they just kind of threw class in the garbage in terms of um they're oppressor versus oppressed. They they aren't talking class anymore. Working it didn't class work. Versus. I mean, they they stopped talking about it because it wasn't working, right? It didn't work. But but they could look at groups of people in different ways and just make huge claims about them in general. And then, um, but yeah, that doesn't work when you talk about Jews and Asians and um, and I think it's really interesting that in SJW culture you are required to hate. Israel. I was listening to a um, a Jewish rabbi speaking. I have to find him. I, I need to listen to him more, but he was saying, you know, historically, Jews were hated because of their re race or religion, actually. And then it became yep. not a good thing to hate people for religion. Then they were hated for their race, and it became not a good thing to hate people for the race. But now they're hated for their country, their state, their nation. And he said, it's really the newest form of anti-Semitism. Because if you ask an SJW, do you think it's appropriate to critique the British government? They would say, absolutely, yes. And you would say, do you think they don't have a right to exist? And they would go, well, no. 
but they would never say that for Israel. Huh. And, you know, um, the idea is that Israel has colonized Palestine, but it's like, who hasn't colonized the place they were? Right. And I'm not saying Israel has. I mean, it has this whole tradition of that's been their homeland. So there, that's a whole different issue. But my point is, if you're an SJW, this one narrative gets handed to you. And I think it's telling. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's random that SJWs absolutely hate and work against the state of Israel. I don't uh, think it's random. So I, I agree with you. I don't think it's random. And, and it is quite, it's striking to me because they're also very sensitive to what they perceive as anti-Semitism in the U.S., right? Um, you know, rightly, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not an anti-Semite. I actually have Jewish blood. But, uh, you know, they're very, you know, very worried about anti-Semitism in the U.S. But when it comes to, yeah. is, you know, Jews in Israel, it's, uh, yeah. it's all about hating them. Um, I don't even think they're that supportive of anti-Semitism here, honestly. I think whenever they see any kind of hate at all, they're like, oh, and they call it out and see, that's proof. But, and I think they use examples of anti-Semitism as like, see, look at how bad we are, shame on us. But I have not seen a lot of care and a care, I guess, care about that. Huh. I just, I don't know. Oh, but that's my, that's my take. I mean, I have another theory about why Israel's hated, which is... Uh... I really think a lot of the philosophy behind the, the movement is it's partially just postmodernism, but it's, there's also a really deep, deep strain of nihilism. And uh, frankly, you, you can you hate you hate Israel because if you're nihilist, right, you hate the good for for being the good, right? You hate you hate uh, progress for being progress. And frankly, you know, as much as you might want to complain about Israel or you say that they do bad things, which I don't, you know, I think they're actually pretty good. But compared to the surrounding nations, they are the most free and yeah. uh, the most just society compared to all of their neighbors. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so they're hated actually for their virtue. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I I don't understand how they can hate our the only democracy in the Middle East. Right. Uh, well, I, I guess I can understand because they don't like capitalism and they would rather everybody was just socialist, but um, they like to put that word dem dem democratic in front of it. Right. But um, <laughs> well, yeah, I just went through Ocasio Cortez's platform, and it's some of it's just outright communist. I mean, I I hate mm -hmm. to use the word communist because it's a it sounds over the top, but when it's you not. look at some of this stuff, it's like it no, that's kind of communism. Yeah, it's not over top at all. Um, I had professors in my women's studies classes outright say that socialism was better. Communism might be too. That was 15 years ago. I am. I, I would put money on the fact that they're actually just outright saying it now. Well, I I will say so. I I have read the Antifa handbook, and I will say that um, they they do explicitly embrace Marxism, and you're basically uh, an Antifa ally and a brother only if you support uh, some some form of Marxist ideology. So you can say, well, I want. Socialism. I don't know how that's very different than communism in their eyes, because the, their version of socialism is not like a large government. It's mm -hmm. like socialism, like Venezuela socialism. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think they, they pretty they pretty much are, and and their view of their definition of a fascist is anyone who's not a Marxist. Mm -hmm. So uh, that includes capitalists, as, as you mentioned, the hatred of Israel for being capitalist. Yeah. So yeah. 
Um, they, they, the one thing Antifa has in common is that they hate capitalism. So, but here's the thing: the only way to get rid of capitalism is to totally demolish society. Right. Because, and they know that, and that's why they go out into the streets and they want blood in the streets. They, they want revolution. If you read the material, if you listen to anything, articles they post, it, it says revolution. It says, you know, they don't like Democrats. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. The Antifa handbook is, um, you know, I often find in, in life that people that you meet are usually, um, they usually tell you the truth about them right away. Uh, if you're listening, often Mm -hmm. we're not listening, right? Mm -hmm. But, uh, I think that, you know, Antifa, they're not hiding a damn thing. You read their handbook and they're, they're very clear about what they want and it's violence and it's it's violent revolution. Yeah, and um, it's led by professors. They, they um, are getting people to believe that this is what needs to happen. And they even suggest that, you know, sometimes the best way to get to um, an equal society, I mean, sometimes you have to actually sacrifice your comfort and i mean sometimes, sometimes you gotta send does. people to siberia i mean if you really yeah. you know you may you may have to kill 100 million people to make an omelet but uh well they would say that that never happened or oh, that that wasn't socialism yes no i noticed that it's it's uh, that's awfully convenient but uh mm-hmm. you know every every socialist government in history doesn't count so right because uh, they would do it better they would do it right yeah yeah, the arrogance. I, we could do a whole show on the arrogance of, of Marxism and, right. and socialism generally. Um, yeah. So let's, uh, we kind of veered off track, but I, it was a fun conversation. But let's get yeah. back to um, the warning signs here. Uh, let's see. We did that one. So that was four. So number five is dependency upon the group for problem-solving solutions and definitions. Oh, we did that one. without. So we did mm-hmm. that. Okay, great. So that was a check. So we've done five. So number six, hyperactivity centered on the group agenda, which seems to supersede any personal goals or individual interests. I don't know. Uh, tell me about that one. I don't know if that's true. Mm, I don't know. I mean, if you're if you're deep into the cult, then I, I mean, yeah, if you're Antifa, that would be true. But I think that would have to be the most extreme end of this movement, this cult hype, cult-like following. Um, if you're just, if you're just trained in college to think like an SJW and go go out into the world, it's not totally like that. But but it is in terms of virtue signaling on social media. So um, the things you post, I mean, you're kind of like this little Facebook warrior or Twitter warrior because um, you you put out there all the things that you're supposed to care about. But I'm sure that they're going about their own lives and doing their own things. So I'm not totally sure if that one qualifies. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they all wear potato sack and you know yeah. uh have these subsistence living so that they can devote all of their money and, and energy to yeah i, I think that one probably doesn't yeah. check the box yeah okay um so we're you know two down actually two two didn't pass yet um number seven a dramatic loss of spontaneity and sense of humor that's the one that to oh, me is tautolo- yeah. it's tautological <laughs> almost it's like that's laughable to even ask it's like that's funny asking do that do they have a sense of humor it's like Let's just laugh. We don't have to answer that. Yeah, no, I, I agree no, with you. We no, can just we don't have a sense of humor go wait, at all. Go watch modern comedy and late night uh, television, and you can answer that question for yourself. Okay, so I read an I read a post that I wrote. I was looking actually through my feed on Facebook, trying to find a when it was that I said I'm pretty sure we're headed for civil war. <laughs> okay, 
And so I went through my feed and I start, I went way back and I went, it must, it must have been last year. How far back was it before I really red pilled? So I started looking at my feed and I was just disgusted by my Facebook feed. And I thought if I, if any one of my friends at this point posted that, I would just be rolling my eyes and gagging and like I was the one doing this, okay? And uh, you know, it just, what was I saying? It was, oh, it was, oh, I was bragging because someone had told me a joke and it wasn't funny. Oh, that was, that's not funny. Right, yeah. he thought he was being funny and I was like, no, that was not funny. And I just was like, ew, I, I'm, I'm not just not laughing. I'm virtue signaling about the fact that I'm not laughing. It's disgusting. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, an Irish guy, a Catholic, and a Jew walk into a, fuck you! How dare yeah. you? Yeah. yeah. Don't tell those jokes. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it generally, you know, I like I said, you watch late night comedy, you get clapping instead of laughs. That's, that's, the, that's the key. That's the telltale yeah. sign. Right. So, all right. So that one's clear. Number eight. Increasing isolation from family and old friends unless they demonstrate an interest in the group. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not like they're all meeting together, but they absolutely isolate you. I have the majority of my dearest friends just aren't talking to me. And it's just the silent treatment. I think if they weren't Christians, they would outright say, you're just a racist, bigot, awful, homophobe, all the things, oh, Nazi, all the words, you know because I've already been associated with someone like Gavin McGinnis by going on his show. I just realized the lighting in here is getting dark. I'm going to try plugging in this light, if you don't mind. Uh, sure, yeah. Let's just take okay. a break and, and, uh, and do that. Yeah. All right. Is that better? Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, the whole, it wasn't that bad before. Let me actually, okay. since we're pausing, though, I'm going to fix something else that is fine, but I don't like it. So. Okay. Well, now it's going to change the video, so I feel bad, but I... That's right. That's right. Okay, it was getting dark, and I was using daylight. Uh, so. Okay. Okay. Number, number nine. Anything the group does can be justified no matter how harsh or harmful. I... To me, that's also true. You tell me, social justice expert. <laughs> uh, it's getting there. I, I would say Antifa, definitely. It's yeah. any by any means necessary is one of their sayings. There's a group called By Any Means Necessary in Berkeley. Mm -hmm. yeah. So any means necessary to accomplish their end because it's in the name of justice. Right. So it makes it okay. Um, I think increasingly it is the memes that are going through social media and the that certain kinds of friends of mine that are willing to share really surprises me because it's stuff that's like you know that's agitating for that type of attitude that's saying things like yeah silence is contributing to the death and the mutilation or whatever it is like these really extreme so in other words and they're saying, um, if we continue to be silent, if we continue to not do something, and it's kind of like agitating. And I'm thinking, these are people who aren't normally like this. This sounds like something that Antifa would post. Like, if we don't go out there and do something right now, everything is like we're actually contributing to um, the concentration camps at the border. And it's like, that's a serious accusation. First, that we have 
concentration camps. And by the way, that's a complete insult to every Jewish family who had anybody in a concentration camp. I can't even believe, like if I were a Jewish person right now, I just, I don't think I could tolerate those type of friends if they said that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I think it's getting there. It's, it's, it's interesting to see what people are pushing forward, what kind of people are pushing forward that type of agitation. I think it's increasing. I certainly see it in terms of language, right? I see um, it's okay to call anyone anything, and as long as it shuts them down, as oh, long yeah. as, uh, you know, as long as you do the damage that you want. Because mostly, uh, mm -hmm. almost all of their actions and speech are about uh, damage to someone in some way. It's, it's mm -hmm. very little of it is about... Um, you know, anything positive, it's almost always about destruction of something or someone that they view as a problematic. Yeah. If you listen to feminists do speeches, um, they will tell you what they want. And what they want is the deconstruction of what exists. What they want is to demolish the values that exist. They, I mean, I have quotes. I can give so you send ideas. I mean, yeah. So it's deconstruct demolish um, all of these words that are basically like, what do we want? It's not, I want to create a better society. It's not, I have a plan. It's not, I have an idea. The, 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 what they want and what they will explicitly say that they want is to take down the patriarch or whatever they see that exists right now. Right. Yeah. If we all starve equally. That's better than some people, you know, having more food than others. It seems like, mm -hmm. right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I would, I would give them a, uh, I would give them credit for that one. I, I do mm -hmm. think that they, they have that attitude. Um, and number 10, former followers are at best considered negative or worse, evil and under bad influences. They cannot be trusted and personal contact is avoided. You just yeah. talked about that. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That's just 100% yes. Check that box. Okay, so I think yeah. we got an 8 out of 10 on on these warning signs. And we got a 10 out of 10 uh, of uh, on when just analyzing the group and not mm -hmm. analyzing people involved. So. Uh, I think I think social justice culture is doing pretty well on the, on the yeah cult. doing pretty well becoming a cult yeah um, I I would say they're not becoming a cult they're done they're a cult like yeah. they could get more they could get crazier they could all drink Kool Aid mm -hmm. and and wait for some comet to pick them up but other than that I mean I think they're there mm -hmm. yeah they're there and if you can feel it when you're leaving it you do feel it because the the isolation and um, Man, that's a really bright light. Sorry, I tried to change the lighting and it's just like, whoo, yeah. super bright. That's all right. Um, it's, you know, my the white quality is actually quite low. Uh, okay. It's the content that matters here, so it's yeah, okay. Of course. <laughs> um, anyway, the you feel it. It's a tangible isolation. It's excommunication. And it's a, it's a really cruel uh, way to punish somebody because what you, re, what you withhold from them is human contact and love and... Um, acceptance and but underlying that is this assumption that you actually are not only being influenced by evil but you are actually becoming it and it's a really cruel um you feel it when you when you exit it, it i can identify with people who have left a cult because you realize how controlled your mind was i always used to know what to think about things because of the group pyramid of who's in charge of knowledge so in this situation these people are arguing and I know who's right because of the color of skin or whatever but and you know Israel Palestine I don't need to know the details just right. Israel bad right. Palestine's good yeah you know very simple so when you come out you're like oh my goodness I have to learn what I think about things and 
I actually have to think, you know, yeah. about the issues in detail and give both sides a chance. It's work. It's a lot of work. No, I, I agree. And actually, I think, I mean, I'm sure we all have shortcuts to, to really thinking about problems in some areas of our lives. But, you know, the more that I focus on trying to, to really think things through, the more I realize um, I'm actually unsure on a, way, a lot a lot more than I was unsure about before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm maybe sure that one of the two, one of the extremes is, is dumb, but I find a lot of cases where I'm like, well, that makes no sense. And this makes no sense, mm-hmm. but actually I'm not sure we know where the line is in between those things. And yes. that's a really interesting discussion and maybe we should have it. Yeah. Um, that's what I'm finding too. I feel the same way. Yeah. Um, I actually don't trust myself anymore. I, <laughs> That's when you healthy, live, though, I think, right? I mean, I guess so. Um, it's probably a good thing, but when you live for so long, so confident that you know, I wouldn't say I thought I knew everything, but I knew how to think about everything, right? And I knew, um, I just knew, and I knew I would never ever change. Like I, it was almost yeah, it was religious in nature. I just knew someday my sister would hear me about feminism, and she would say you're right i hear you finally and um i really thought that and i i never even if she never came around i never imagined that i wouldn't think that so the fact that i don't think feminism is helping society and it's detrimental actually the fact that i don't think that anymore it kind of makes me not trust myself because how could i be pushing it so hard and then suddenly i don't think about i don't think it's good you know yeah so. I, the way the way that I think about it is um, something that hasn't changed about me in I don't know twenty five years now. Um, it's not it's not dedication to particular beliefs or particular conclusions. It's dedication to a process of like, you know, this is the process. I'm going to use reason. I'm going to use like this. This is the I'm going to use evidence. Yeah. I'm going to ask a question. Like this is the process. And mm-hmm. sometimes the process will take me places that I don't want to go but yeah. I'm committing to the process. And yeah. sometimes the process leaves me at a fork in the road and I'm like, I don't know where to go from here. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's, um, in some sense, it's more scary because mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, always immediately know what to think about things. But in another mm-hmm. case, it's comforting because I don't feel like I have to know. And I feel mm-hmm. like, oh, we can have a conversation. And uh, mm-hmm. if you convince me or bring data that I don't know or an argument I haven't heard, it's okay for me to change my mind and be like, oh, actually, yeah, you're totally right about that. Uh, and I'm not yeah. being, I'm not being a hypocrite. I'm not, I'm just, I'm committed to a process and that yeah. process has led me somewhere else. Yeah. So. so it's, it's similar to being part of a fundamentalist religion where they say things like, if you question this, you're not a Christian and you know what that means. Yeah. You're going to burn in hell for eternity. And that's scary. It's like, oh no, Absolutely. you know, and, And so that's the difference between a fundamentalist religion and one that says um, God knows your heart. God knows that people doubt. God knows these things. It's not like suddenly you're on your way to hell. You know, it's like there's there's different kinds of faith. And so you can, I just don't know if you can be a social justice warrior and not become cultish about it. You know? I, I mean, I don't think so because they kick you out if you're not cultish. I mean... Um, yeah if you know but well yeah because that's how it started with me i started to question and when i verbalized my questions i didn't think it would be as bad as it was like um people just couldn't handle it 
yeah. they couldn't handle it. They would shut down the conversation. My dearest friends would say, I can't, I just, I have so much on my plate and it's so stressing me out. And they couldn't deal with my transformation, even just, you know, well, what if, what if identity politics is not good? And it's like, oh, we oh, can't, even, don't, can't even do it. Don't it's go so there. I don't, what would the, the phrase Carrie said the other day? I don't have enough spoons to do. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds like don't, spoons are some measurement of emotional energy, I guess. Oh, okay. I didn't know that one, but yeah. But yeah, you know, you mentioned something. I grew up in a fundamentalist Christian household. And um, one of the things that I, that actually had a big impact on me is one of the things that they said, and I think I've heard social justice culture say similar things. Um, I was told that uh, you don't ever read anything that might make you question any of your beliefs that we've taught you. And, mm -hmm. and if you start to see that something is going that direction, it's Satan has written it and, uh, and you, mm -hmm. you can't read it. It will corrupt your mind. And so mm -hmm. I actually put down books that I remember, like there were books that I would start to read and be like, uh Oh, I, mm -hmm. this is, this is evil. I can't, I can't hear this perspective. Um, mm -hmm. And it took me a while to get to the point where I realized if my faith is so fragile that it can't survive this book, we've got another problem altogether. Yeah. And um, yeah. I feel like the same thing happens with social justice warriors where, uh, you know, they, if they hear about a source, like, for example, if you say, I, I read an article on Breitbart the other day, okay, Breitbart is, Breitbart is a right-leaning outlet. Mm -hmm. Maybe some of the stuff they, they, I don't read it a lot, but maybe some of the stuff is wrong. I don't know. No, it's alt right. And that means white supremacist. And that means KKK. Didn't you know this? Right. So, but that's, but that's exactly the response. It's like, well, the source is X. It's uh, the genetic fallacy in logic, right? Well, look who's saying it. Therefore it's wrong. Well, um, it's coming from the source, the evil one. It's coming from them. Even if it's, um, it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. It might say that it does. It might say it likes everyone it might say it's not a white supremacist it might say that it's not all this but it is yeah. and you're like okay what happened to letting people have agency over who they are and and actually believing people what they say it doesn't it doesn't exist in that cult yeah no absolutely and it, it reminds me um i don't remember which philosopher this is i wish I, I should look it up but uh i might have been nietzsche or someone but they 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 said uh you know if an inmate leans out the window from an insane asylum and yells two plus two is four that doesn't make him wrong. Like, it doesn't matter who says it, right? Yeah. It's still right. true. Yeah. So, um, but that's not the attitude of social justice culture. I think it's 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 this genetic fallacy. Look at the source, Nazi, KKK, whatever. Therefore, yeah. don't believe ever anything, right? Yeah. Part of it is how do you know what you know? Part of it is um, so truth. Is there truth? Is there such a thing as truth? And it's relative. And what is it relative to? And and um, the only real truth is the hierarchy they've built. So right, right. if, a, if an, an insane asylum guy leans out and says something factually correct, that doesn't mean it's factually correct. Or it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, it doesn't even, like the fact that it's factually correct is not the point. They don't care about that. Right. There aren't, and well, I mean, they've, they've, they've coined the term hate facts, which is, just makes no sense to me as a, like... Hate facts, facts don't have emotions attached to them. They're just statements about reality that correspond accurately with reality. Oh my God, I haven't heard that one. That's, you haven't? Oh, that's a good one. It's like the more ridiculous they get, I, I always think they're going to look at it and go, okay, I see it now. I hear it now. Right. Oh, they hate facts. That is, gee, that is stupid. Hmm. Right, but they don't. Oh, no. They don't. The more you push and go, isn't that weird that 
you like made someone cry and then you called her fragile. Right. They don't hear it. Right. They can't see it. Yeah. It's, it's um it is it is disturbing. And so you know, I, I don't know I don't know, I lost my train of thought, but the, the hate facts thing is just it's an example to me of this this uh kind of Oh, I know what I was gonna say. Uh Ayn Rand, Ayn Rand actually talked about this this concept of social, uh, a social metaphysician, and okay. and I love the phrase and I love the meaning of it. It's um, it's this idea that uh, you know, so metaphysics obviously is is the the branch of philosophy where we're talking about what is actually real and what's not real, right? Mm -hmm. And a social metaphysician is someone who doesn't look out with their own eyes and their own sense data and evaluate uh, with their own judgment about what's real. They they look around socially and they look at consensus and what whatever consensus is that's that's true the fact is whatever consensus is and i see that i see that a lot in i don't know if it's social justice culture per se i see that a lot in culture um mm. but i definitely see it in social justice culture where maybe they're looking around and seeing and trying to figure out where that person is on the hierarchy before they accept mm. it but there's yeah. definitely this this attitude of like well i can't independently evaluate this because i gotta check in with the peeps Oh, totally. Right. Because maybe I can't speak for them because they're of color. And right. so, but it's like, but you always speak for them. Right. It's, it's interesting to watch an, a white SJW man have a conversation with Candace Owens, black conservative yep. female. Who they because, hate. I mean, they hate her. Talk about oh, hating someone. I, if you're a black female, I guess if she was trans and disabled, it would be worse. But if you're a black female and you're on the other side, I don't think they, I think they hate her more than they would hate someone like me or you. Well, actually, yeah, she fell from grace a lot farther because she's way up on the hierarchy. She is like clergy, unless she's an apostate, and then she's like the devil. Right, yeah. So, yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry, Go continue with your Candace Owens. Oh, well, it's just interesting watching a, a, a white man, SJW, have, a, have an angry conversation with uh, Candace Owens, black conservative female, because they are telling her all of this stuff. They, they're yelling at her. And they're like, black women need blah, blah, blah about um, how they need all of this protection and you're, you're awful. And you're just like, wait a minute, wait yeah. a second. Wait, you're like, allowed to speak for me now? Yeah. Right. And she'll say like, I can speak for myself or something, but they can't hear it. No. They can't hear it. No. Because um, she's not a black woman. She's an apostate. Right. Right. So they're not actually talking about her. Right. They're talking about believers yeah no yeah it, it's it really is interesting to watch those conversations yeah it's telling to see how they treat uh people who would be at the top of their hierarchy but are wrong thinkers mm -hmm. and uh i mean kanye west is another example of you know oh, yeah. i'm sure i don't agree with kanye west on a whole bunch of stuff but he didn't yeah. have to say much to be really vilified by them just like yeah. i here's my trump hat and it's like oh my god he's horrible he's you know yeah in front of mental illness and all this kind of stuff I know, I know. It's like, are you guys would never? I can't believe CNN let them say the things they said. Yeah, I can't believe they let them get away with that. Sure. I don't care what color you are. I don't. I don't think it's appropriate to be saying a Negro who can't read. Right. Like, yeah. Seriously. And laughing and about it, and it was just this, like, yeah. I mean, I it's like, but it does matter what color they are when they say it. And that's the thing about SJW is as long as they say it, it's okay. Or it's right. It's actually true. Yeah. It's not just okay. It's actually true. Because yeah. the right people said it. Yeah. The right people said it. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. So 
you know, I don't want to keep you for too long, but this has been super fun. I, I know, um, you know, I'm most intrigued that you, you have a degree in feminism. Um, <laughs> right. Can you, yeah, I, 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 this could probably be a separate show, but just really from a high level, are, do you, are you still, do you consider yourself a feminist in any way? Are you just like anti-third wave feminism or are you just like screw all feminism? Like what's, what's your position now? Um, no way. I'm not, a, I'm not a feminist at all. Okay. I've decided to, um, because I feel like feminists, first of all, that's a label that was created during a time of women activism that I just loathe. And, uh, earlier women who tried to get the vote wouldn't, well, they were called suffragettes, you know, suffragettes. Right. They a different were, term. Yeah. Right. And, um, what I want to do is not read history the way they read it, because first of all, they're wrong. Um, and when you look back at history, you have to understand that men and women have negotiated over time, and it had a lot to do with biology, because women were really constrained by the fact that they didn't have birth control, so they kept having babies. And of course, they weren't out in society building bridges and creating airplanes and doing all these things, because they were pregnant right. and taking care of children. Right. So you can't lay the whole sum total of history at the feet of men and say, you suck. Because the fact is they created birth control. They gave you a reason. They gave you an, a, a way to exit whatever it is that you're personally discontent with. Yeah. So yeah. I refuse to pick that label up any longer. I now see it as it's a tool. It's a political angle. and. It doesn't mean that women haven't had to work hard in the past to change uh, biases, but I would never attach myself to that label again. Um, you know, I, I was just watching this thing about um, the grooming gangs, the Muslim grooming oh, yeah, gangs, in the UK? rape gangs and stuff. And um, they, they would say, if this woman is not covering herself, then she's available for whatever I want. Right. And so there's this attitude, you know, but um, you just, it's not like... Well, feminists don't care about that, though, by the way. They, no, no, they don't care about that at all. The only thing they care about is that you don't say anything bad about those men. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, um, so, but yeah, it's like those women in those countries and cultures have a lot of work to do to uh, to overcome a lot of biases and yeah. uh hatred and and violence and so so it's not like gender trouble doesn't exist in the world or never has sure. and, and it doesn't mean it didn't ever exist here and it doesn't but it, but what what i hate is the lack of gratitude i hate the lack of um looking at what they have and actually seeing it for what it is which is an incredibly progressive country of men who respect them as long as they're respectable, which these ones aren't, these feminists aren't, but they give them respect. Yeah. And there's no gratitude. There's no gratitude for either the history of women actually working for change. There's no gratitude at all. It's just always a complaint and always like, oh, men are just like this and that. It's like, no, they're not actually. And they're not that way, especially more and more every day in this, in Western societies. And so no way I will never use that label again. Well, you know, I think um, one of the things that, that that really bothers me a lot about about feminism is the hatred of mothers who choose to yeah. just stay home and be moms. And 
Um, this is just a personal passion of mine is, is, is how we treat, treat children in society. I think if you're going to look at any uh, marginalized or unprotected class of, of, of humans, children mm -hmm. are the last completely unprotected class mm -hmm. of, of humans. No one, no one really cares. If you're, a, if you're a woman and you're in a relationship with a guy and he beats you, you can leave. Mm -hmm. um, but you can't if you're a kid. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, even if you could, uh, I mean, what, they're going to take your parent to jail and then you lose your, your parent and your source of uh, you know, resources. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's uh, the power dynamic between children and parents is, is the largest it could possibly be. Mm -hmm. And I, I really believe that uh, the, the role of, of a good mother, I, it could be a father who's home, but usually it's a mother. And the, the role of a good mom who's there raising her children to be responsible adults and teaching them right from wrong and giving them the support and the love they need uh, and, you know, not beating them and do, doing all the right things is uh -huh. invaluable. And, uh, you know, the truth is, if, if you're in a marriage where the, the, the man goes and works and the mom stays home with the kids, that's not that's not. To, to, to criticize her for not having a job or to think, like, look down on her for not having a, quote, job that she goes mm -hmm. out and gets paid for is ridiculous. This is a, this is a trade. The man mm -hmm. needs her desperately to be taking care of the household and taking care of the kids. And in return, he mm -hmm. goes and slogs away in the mines or whatever mm -hmm. he's doing and brings a paycheck home. And I get that that's not the, the dynamic that every couple necessarily wants. But there is nothing wrong with that dynamic. In fact, it's a very healthy dynamic. And yeah. if more kids had moms who stayed home and raised them, I think we would have a much better culture because they wouldn't raise up as traumatized as mm -hmm. they wouldn't grow up as traumatized as they seem to be growing up. And yeah, well, they're being raised by institutions. And yeah. this is actually a model of um, socialism and communism. If you look at the documentaries historically, they do talk explicitly about how the state should be raising the children and the women should be working for the community, right. not and feminists kind of do this thing where they say women should not be working for this one man, right. you know, and it's like, oh, what should she be doing working for the entire community, right? You know, right. it's not a better gig. And, no. you know, they have this argument of like, oh, if you're economically dependent, you're at risk. And it's like, that's true. You could be at risk for if you have a bad partner situation. But um, so choose well and be a yeah. good partner yourself. Choose well. There's also all of these services that feminists have created and like, you know, shelters and stuff. And um, uh, it, it, I don't know. I, I feel like I, we could have a whole separate show about uh, yeah, parenting. And I agree, though. I agree. So um, maybe we'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> Children definitely need a better environment. And, and what they're doing right now is just raising them in school. They, the feminists are going to care about children and they kind of increasingly are. But this is the only thing they care about is right think. So they're infiltrating um, curriculum and health education. Yeah, I would say that they're not. That's not because they care about children. It's because they, they, you know, people like my daughter. Uh, she's nine. She's inoculated. I mean, there's like I. I mean, I think that I could get hit by a bus tomorrow, and there's not really much that they could do to her at this point in her life where she's going to become a social justice, social justice warrior. She knows how to think. She knows how yeah. to evaluate things and independently think like, you know, that's what they're afraid of. Oh, totally. Yeah. My kid, my daughter's nine too. And my son is going to be 11 this month. We have conversations at the dinner table every night 
And often you'll find me saying, well, here's something you won't hear at school. Right, yes. <laughs> here's something they won't tell you at time. school. Yeah. Because, and so they've actually seen me red pill because when Trump became president, I took my kids out to dinner the night of the election, telling them that history was going to be made, that the first female president was going to be elected. <laughs> <laughs> and then, history was made, but not in the way you thought. I know. And we just like, they were watching this TV in this like bar and grill place. And, and we could not admit it. Like Matt and I were just quiet. And the kids kept looking up at the TV going, hey, it looks like Trump's winning. And we're like, shh, Don't you know. That. So they've seen us because they, after a while when they were like, oh, Trump this or that, we were like, okay, we're going to kind of, we're going to have a talk about this. We don't really know how we feel about Trump. We told you he was this hot, awful, horrible human being that hated Mexicans, but we don't think that anymore. Right. So we had to backtrack and they've actually been, we've had some interesting, good conversations with our kids going, now they know how to think. Now they realize that mom used to call herself a feminist, but she doesn't. And here's why. And when I teach my children, I tell them, here's what someone thinks. Here's why they think that they're doing the right thing. They think that they're doing the right thing because of this, yep. this idea. And then I tell them how I think and how, why I think the way that they are looking at it is incorrect. So I like try to, I try to be the devil's advocate in their head. Yeah. You know? No, I think, um, I, I seriously want to have you back just to talk about child rearing because, uh, That'd be it's, great. uh, it's an, it's a topic that I think is ignored. Um, except for people who want to indoctrinate children, uh, mm -hmm. you know, they're the only ones talking about it. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I think, uh, it, it could just be a fascinating discussion. So yeah, I want to let you go here, but anything else on social justice generally as a cult that you really feel like we didn't touch on that you want to really talk about and, and then we'll wrap it up. Okay. Um, well, I'm just kind of articulating, writing out actually the basic doctrines that if you cross the line, it's heretical. Mm -hmm. And so some of the doctrines, I mean, one of them that we didn't really touch on is um, you prove your allegiance to the group by publicly showing outrage toward the evil ones. Oh, the interesting. So there is that. So we silence is like they notice if you don't yell about Trump or something. Well, you're supposed to. Silence is violence. Right. So it also just means that you're not one of us. Right. So that, that that is part of the um, doctrine is to call people out publicly with outrage. So that's part of it. But yeah, that you know, there's all kinds, and I'm actually still thinking through the details of it. Why I would call it a cult, but you've been helpful with all of the list. Well, I actually look, have a copy of that. Yeah, and and you can you can listen to what Carrie and I said this morning, but because uh, we went through the the other part of the list, but. Um, yeah, when yeah. you're when you're done with this, I think it'd be great also to have you back and kind of get your conclusions mm -hmm. about, uh, you mm -hmm. know, what, how how this really shapes up and and what you really think about now that you've yeah. you know had had time to analyze it. So. Yeah, and I really do need to analyze why Christians are swapping out their faith for this or thinking that they, well, merging it, trying to merge it, sure. and I haven't totally worked that out yet. But once I do, I'll let uh, you know. I, I don't know if this is because of my fundamentalist roots <laughs> or or not, but. I, I think that most people of most religions are, um, well, I'll use a phrase that the Mormons use. Most people are Jack Mormons, right? They're, they're mm -hmm. like, they go on Sunday, but 
it's a cultural mm-hmm. thing more than, than something that's really a deeply held belief that guides their lives. And so right. uh, contradictions don't matter to them mm-hmm. mostly, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just a high level kind of my attitude about it generally. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah. So. Well, the the Christians that I've been involved with are um, hyperactive on the social justice end. So I have to analyze this because they think they're Christians doing justice, but I think they're doing Christianity from a social justice lens. And I have to figure this out. So I'm working on it. Yeah. Well, th- that yeah. will also be fascinating to talk about. So thank you again for, for coming in. Um, sorry that we had technical troubles this morning, yeah. but I'm I know. glad we were I able to have this conversation. It's, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. I wish I was there, but I'm glad that we got to catch up and do it here. Sure, yeah, and we'll have Carrie on next time. Hopefully we won't have uh, technical problems with Carrie, uh, but, and we'll definitely have you back for more, more stuff. So yes. thanks again, Gracie. Have a good evening, and uh, we'll talk later. Thanks. Bye.